With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. TNT. Sonia Poulton and today's news talk, TNT. And welcome to Wednesday's show. I am delighted to have you here with us on the Sonia Poulton Show on today's news talk. It's like the world is coming alive in the UK. This is tax day. This is when we have to pay our taxes or else. But I do definitely sense this sensation of after the sort of slumber of the Christmas period and January, it's like the world is waking up again, which is wonderful. And saying that solidarity to our French cousins, it is wonderful seeing them giving Emmanuel Macron a true blooded nose. It, you know, he's losing control of France on all number of fronts at the moment. Obviously, the farmers' protests have stepped up exponentially over the last few days. The protests have become more widespread spread, including, of course, converging on Paris and other cities. They are also targeting stores such as Aldi and Lidl and French supermarkets. And Macron claims that the problem is to do with Ukrainians flooding the market with cheap poultry. And But the fact is, people know it is about more than that. It is way more than that. Macron is losing the war on propaganda. And it turns out that many French people support the farmers converging um, as they as they are doing, just as people supported the Canadian truckers. And from the UK, broadcaster and farm man himself, Jeremy Clarkson, has even sent a message of support in French to the farmers saying, French farmers, I bet no one has ever said this before, but good luck coming from England. Now, the fact is, that uh, Clarkson is absolutely a member of the British establishment. I think him and Camilla are like this. But nonetheless, it is a show of solidarity and we will take it where we find it, right? And, uh, you know, it is it is brilliant to see the farmers getting heard the way they are. And I also saw yesterday a number of clips where these farmers were refusing to speak to representatives from legacy media. And we saw that in the UK during COVID, where people were like, absolutely not. You are part of the problem. And they are turning more to stations like us, like today's news talk, because they know that they can trust us to deliver the news as opposed to the news as the globalists would want it. And let's be under no illusion at all that that is what is going on here. In terms of the farmers, they know that this is about the control system, the globalists all seeking to suppress them, not just undercut them, but suppress their right to, to assemble, their freedom to protest, and all manner of other human rights issues. So as I say, solidarity with our French cousins and solidarity also with our German cousins because they are entering an experimental four-day working week. And uh, it's so it's interesting. So what, I, what I've uh, discovered is that there's, I think it's 45 companies are set to participate because there is, there's a great deal of sort of psychological literature which talks about how a four-day working week is actually more productive than a five-day working week. Now, that doesn't always count for industries such as mine because I think this is more to do with people who are, who are doing a nine-to-five. And for some people, 
They don't enjoy their job. They do it purely to make money. And that can be soul destroying, obviously. And uh, so I think that that uh, there is potential in a four day working week. We introduced a five day working week about 150 years ago. And the idea was to give people a break at the weekends. Well, now we should tighten it a little bit more, perhaps. But, you know, good luck to Germany. Let's see how that pans out. And I used to, before I did this, I, a long time ago, I was a music journalist and I spent about 12 years as a music journalist touring with some of the biggest names in music. My speciality was hip hop as it was really just sort of starting. And so I toured with people like Snoop Dogg, The Notorious Big, Puff Daddy, Public Enemy, you name it, the absolute biggest names, the biggest artists. And it's interesting to see that Rebecca Ferguson, who was a, who was in the X Factor. She was an X Factor finalist. And she has, over the last few years, been talking about the systemic abuse that takes place within the British music industry. In fact, within all music industries, British or American, certainly. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is that women are treated horribly. Males are treated horribly. There's all manner of abuses taking place, not just sort of the human rights abuses of, of, of forcing people to look a certain way, to be a certain way, not to say this, not to say that not to stand up. And so she is now tackling it. And I look forward to that. So at the moment, we've just had little words seeping out, but she was um, one of the people who gave evidence to MPs on the Women in Equalities Committee as part of a report into misogyny and discrimination in the UK music scene. So I look forward to hearing more about that. This has been a very long time coming because Unfortunately, so many of these artists are so deeply compromised because they want to be famous and they're scared of upsetting anybody because music industries are really small worlds. And that is the reality. But big up yourself, Rebecca Ferguson. I think this is a very brave step to take. And on that note, we will be back very shortly with Gemma Cooper. Abroad or at home, this is your news. By staying silent, we are part of the problem. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And I'm here with Gemma Cooper. It's Wednesday. How are you doing, Gemma? Yes, very good, thank you. And yeah, that story about the uh, the inquiry into abuse in the music industry, I covered it with Dean Mackin yesterday because of the headlines that were coming out about what was happening in the UK music industry. That, But of course, it isn't just the UK music industry, it's the music industry. And we talk about, you know, Hollywood and, and, and child exploitation, exactly the same in the music industry, the Mickey Mouse Club, all of that. Britney Spears in her book said she's had a hell of hellish time. Um, and she's, you know, one of the ones brave enough to come forward after many public meltdowns but of course we had the former radio one dj bbc radio one dj annie mack she's given evidence to that inquiry and she she did say <clears throat> as well that there is a tsunami of revelations about sexual abuse rape sexual assaults that have occurred within the industry <clears throat> and haven't come to light yet yeah and the music industry is yet to have its me too moment uh, it's all been kept under the carpet since its inception since its inception and of course it isn't just women it excuse me it is men as well that have suffered at the hands of these music industry bosses Absolutely. We're still waiting for the results of the inquiry into DJ Tim Westwood. And I knew Tim Westwood when I was a music journalist. There were many rumours around him then, and that's been ongoing for quite a period of time. Of course, latterly as a BBC radio journalist, so that will be interesting. But, you know, you've just triggered me to think about some of the abuses that have been in absolute plain sight. Nickelodeon, the children's TV channel, for one example, they used to run a, a child's camp. And some of the things that went on there were just absolutely horrendous. And you can even see it now 
now in some of the women who are in Hollywood, like Megan Fox, for example, there's, you know, stories, proven stories of her when she was very young and she was invited to these camps. And the young girls, they were... 13, 14, walking around in really skimpy costumes for the men at these weekend camps. I mean, what kind of parent allows your child to go off to these camps? And Puff Daddy had the same kind of camps as well. And Usher tells quite similar stories. And of course, Puff Daddy has recently been subject to a lot of allegations, some of which he's uh, settled with financially, including with his ex-lover Cassie. But I agree with you, the, me the music industry has yet to have its Me Too moment. And it won't be a moment too soon. Gemma. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the headlines that really got me yesterday with this inquiry is that, you know, people who have been sexually assaulted, well, that's often a euphemism for rape, um, it had to sit next to their abusers at award ceremonies and smile and pretend that everything was okay. Uh, and that's just, it's just horrendous, isn't it? And it shows those industries which we're all taught to look up to, just like every institution in the world. We're talking about legacy media now. It won't be long before we're talking about legacy music industry, legacy film industry, because they're all rotten to the core. They're rotten to the core and they're all control mechanisms. You know, it, it's the, without a shadow of a doubt, we're taught to look up to these things and have our idols and celebrities and actors and rock stars and all these things and unless they break programming like like say uh, a prince or a, a george michael they try and escape the clutches of their record uh, company contracts um they're slaves to the system as well they sell that they sign on the dotted line they have to do what they're told it is completely corrupt but there is so much research and so many good books now uh, mark devlin a, a former dj has written his amazing books musical truths volume one two and three exposing the sinister side of the music industry he's not the only one and artists have started tentatively coming forward you know even bob dylan ages ago years ago he said, you know, well, I sold my soul. I sold my soul to the devil. You know, all of that stuff. I mean, he's not from Texas. I'm doing a very bad impression. But people know it's just that the truth will out. And the truth is coming out. The truth is coming yes. out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Preach. Wonderful. So, of course, <laughs> music... Well, no, this is this is really important stuff. We must have a more in-depth conversation, I think, one day about the abuses of the entertainment and music industry. But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Gemma? No, this morning it looks like we're set in the UK to kind of deploy even more military presence into the Red Sea to fight the Houthis as they kind of try to stop ships that they think are supporting Israel traveling through the Red Sea. It looks like the UK is poised to send an aircraft carrier to that part of the world. We haven't sent uh, any naval presence yet. We've, we've had RAF uh, jets taking off from bases in Cyprus to help America in, in that part of the world kind of make that trading route a little bit easier for their corporate interests, I think. But uh, it, basically, the Royal Navy is preparing to step in and replace the American aircraft carrier, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower. That has to ha go back to America fairly shortly. We don't know why. Um, so the U UK Armed Forces Minister has said the UK will cooperate with America and plug the, the defence gap with an aircraft carrier. Now, the UK's got two that uh, could possibly be sent. It's the HMS Prince of Wales. That's not seen any combat before. Or the HMS Queen Elizabeth, which has been in combat before. Uh, they've got the capacity there to carry F-35 fighter jets. And that's what we we need, allegedly, in that part of the world. Uh, and it comes on the, off the back of the Houthi commander, Mohammed El Atifi, who yesterday said, we're bedding in for a long conflict. We're not going anywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. So obviously the US and the UK have thought, well, we need to kind of uh, be ready to, 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 to respond. Um, and so the Dwight D. Eisenhower is going back. Uh, we will then plug the gap. 
Um, and But last month, you see, this is interesting. You know, last week, everybody was talking about the possibility of conscription here in the UK if we have to go to war with Russia. Oh, the reason conscription is being talked about is the army, the Air Force and the Navy haven't got enough staff. So last month, it was actually revealed that the HMS uh, Queen Elizabeth, if it's the one that's going to be deployed, uh, wasn't seaworthy because there wasn't enough staff. Um, and the Navy, out of all our armed for our forces, is the one uh, facing the worst uh, in terms of staffing levels and recruitment. So if, if we do send one, we will, you know, we will be putting a considerable amount of our resources and money um, in, into the Red Sea. And it's interesting. So many people have said that, isn't it interesting that the UK and America care so much more about trade and sorting the Red Sea out than they do about sorting the Middle East out? Um, trade and corporate interests seem to be taking precedence over human life in, uh, in the Middle East and Gaza and Israel. Indeed. And uh, later on in the programme, we're going to be joined by former MEP Godfrey Bloom, who is going to analyse all this war talk for us because it's everywhere, Gemma, isn't it? It's like we were talking about conscription, as you say, in the UK last week. And then at the weekend, I saw editorials around the world, including Australia, saying we need to consider conscription. I always find it interesting, don't you, when it's all in lockstep? It just feels very agenda led when you see that, you know, in multiple countries all around the world, all singing from the same hymn sheet. But why do you you think we have such a sort of lack of personnel in the military and armed forces? Well, I was talking to Major David McBride about this last week, the the, the um, Australian military man, the whistleblower, um, great, great guy, you know, courageous to the hilt. Um, and, and we were talking that, that people are seeing through what, what, what the armed forces are in all Western countries and realising that when you're deployed uh, you're, you're, and you see the reality behind the smokescreen of the PR spin that we're fed by the mainstream about what the war is, um, you, you see the reality of it and you think, my goodness me, we've all been lied to. This is, we're, we're protecting protecting uh, opium poppies in Afghanistan. We're protecting corporate interests. But people see through it and they they don't want to sign up. And they also realize, you know, you're very likely to get killed. You get likely to get injected with something. You're likely to come back with horrendous PTSD and not be looked after. Uh, and people just don't want to go. And uh, he was saying, you know, the thing you're taught in the army, uh, more as well, all armed forces, you're just taught to follow the orders uh, from that are given to you from above. Even if you think and you know in your heart and soul that they're not in the interest of your country or in the interest of you and your your men, you have to follow orders. That's the main tenant of all armed forces, uh, and that's what he 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 went against his superiors. You know, it's the, the, and that's why he's facing prison. Um, but that's not a life, is it? Just to blindly do what you're told, you become a robot. And I think people are realizing life is for living. It's for living. It's not going to support corporate interests in parts of the world. That really, we've got nothing to do with. Such a huge turnaround, though, in our lifetime, because, you know, I grew up with people who, you know, quite happily joined the army and, the, you know, the sort of the TA and everything at the weekends and the young lads and very proud to do it. And and now it's like, you know, as you say, people are waking up to the fact that not just you're killing people and of almost always innocent people. And, you know, but, but the fact that when they come back, they're not taken care of huge swathes of uh, of people who are out on the streets with PTSD and not being taken care of. So it is, it's an all round awakening taking place. And again, I have to say, in many respects, this is the COVID silver lining. I don't think anything else in my lifetime has woken up people so exponentially to the lies that are told by media. I don't know if you agree with that, Gemma, but that's how it feels to me. 
I think so. I think, oh, I mean, we're talking about the music industry just there earlier. Uh, it's every institution that was ever uh, held up as, the, you know, this is how you live your life. This is a bastion of society. I think over the last 20, 30 years, people have lost uh, faith in the church. We saw all the paedophile scandals, all Church of England, the Catholic Church, all kinds of uh, scandals coming out. And people lost faith in that particular authority. People are losing faith in the UK, especially in the police, because of what's coming out about how that institution is run, institutional racism, institutional sexism and misogyny. It's all coming out. Everything is being exposed in every industry, every industry in the world. And the, and the, we're somehow forging um, new structures as a result of seeing how rotten everything was before. It's a very exciting time to be alive, but still the day-to-day -day still goes on. So, you know, in the meantime, we have got the situation in the Middle East. In the meantime, you know, we're spending uh, money and, and, and armed forces resources and plugging that gap in the Red Sea while the America goes home. Um, and, you know, the, the system is still running. The mechanisms are still running, whether people support them and, and back it. Well, it'd be interesting to see what your guest says actually about all of this when he comes on later. Indeed. Thank you so much, Gemma. This has been Wednesday with Gemma Cooper. I will be back after this short break. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's, that's, that's more important to worry about? And this is what, uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography, Pope Francis has said. The pontiff, oh, I'll tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. TNT Radio Live online. online online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Just seeing some great comments about uh, what Gemma was talking about. Shin said the truth's coming out, but are we as a species also going to accept why we could have allowed for all this nastiness to install itself? Nobody seems to want to talk about the dark side of humanity as a whole. I hear you. And I'm seeing a message saying, happy birthday, Mogs. I don't know who that applies to, but happy birthday, Mogs. And uh, Shug says, yep, the money system's crashed as well, mainly due to their theft. I am delighted to be joined this morning by Lord Prem Sikha, who is a man in the House of Lords who is standing up 
for the poor, the vulnerable, the underdog. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Prem. How are you? I'm very well, Sonia. Good morning to you and your listeners, and it's a great pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Well, we are delighted to have you with us. You are a prolific questioner of the government and big business, which is absolutely fantastic. And I was going through your written questions, of which there are many. And one of the most recent ones caught my eye, of course, Fujitsu, that is constantly in the press at the moment regarding the post office horizon scandal, where so many sub postmasters were wrongly convicted of fraud. And it's all obviously now coming out because of the drama documentary on ITV. But you posed an excellent question to the government. And uh, you were saying to ask His Majesty's government how many contracts they have currently open with Fujitsu and what their value is. And Prem, can you tell us something about the response you received? Well, it's a typical government response when they don't really want to answer the question. The first part of the response is uh, we don't hold any information centrally. Uh, and the second part is it will cost too much to give you the information. And my sort of rebuttal would be just a minute. The Treasury signs all the checks and therefore must know uh, what checks it is signing. And when they say it would cost uh, too much well, I don't really buy that. Uh, if you decode the reply, it means we know, but we are not going to tell you. And uh, that that is very disappointing because what the ministers are saying is that in due course, we may take some action, exercise some sanctions against Fujitsu. But if you haven't got the basic information, how, how can you do this? So as any listener who's tried the freedom of information route would have discovered, that eventually they find that the government actually has information. But the government's really playing a kind of a smoke and mirrors game here to say, on one hand, we are really concerned about uh, this scandal. On the other hand, uh, we don't want to tell you too much in case you know we sort of hang ourselves. Yesterday, we had a question in Parliament, and this is quite intriguing, a director of post office, I posed a question to the minister and I didn't even get one word reply. A director of post office is also a director of Crown Prosecution Service, which actually was partly responsible for prosecuting sub-postmasters. So I asked the minister, how did that come to be? Absolutely no answer. I don't think the minister expected a question and there were gasps in the house when I asked that question. Uh, they, these are just sort of examples. You know, we don't really have open government because even to ask freedom of, of information question, first, you um, government doesn't tell you what it holds. You have to guess what information it has and then try to extract it. And uh, this is not really good politics, not really good example of democracy at all. 
And this is, of course, in part why many people have absolutely no faith whatsoever in the political system, because people like you are unusual, Prem. That is the reality. And you stand up against big business. I mean, you absolutely go for it. For example, you 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 went for water bosses. You said they received 25 million in bonuses since the last election, and they're still dumping sewage. They're not plugging leaks. They're hiking bills above the rates of inflation. You know, this obviously does not make you popular with big business, and yet you still continue to say it. What are your thoughts in addition to that about what is going on with our water supply? I'm not really trying to be popular with big business. Uh, I think people in parliament are nobbled by big business all the time. I've never had so many offers of directorships since I've been in the House of Lords. Uh, and I re in one case, I said to somebody, I don't have any time to do the job. And the response was, you don't need to do, you know, you don't need to attend any meeting, but we'll make you a non-executive director. Well, no, thank you. Uh, imagine next week there is a scandal and people will be saying, just a moment, <laughs> you were collecting vast amount in fees. How it come you don't know anything about it? So I have turned all of them down. My concern is very, very simple. Let me put it in a sort of a philosophical sense. Here we are as human beings living on a tiny dot, going around in space, hurtling at about 1,000 miles an hour. If we are lucky, we will get to spend about 4,000 weeks on this planet. And what we need to ensure is that everyone, while they are temporarily here, can live a fulfilling life. And there are too many interests, too many powerful actors who get in the way. Water is an essential, uh, is an essential commodity. We can't do without it. But it has become a tradable uh, 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 commodity. Uh, people are paying too much for it. Water is not clean. And the amazing thing is we are, we are rewarding directors who are polluting our rivers, destroying biodiversity, uh, weakening health care. And that is wrong in my view. And that is why I sort of uh, speak up. Uh, it really comes from my academic days. I, was, uh, I joined the House of Lords three years ago. Before, I was, before that, I was professor of accounting at University of Essex and University of Sheffield, at, of Sheffield. And my basic outlook in life has been that we must give visibility to what is forgotten, what is ignored, what is marginalized. Only that way we can create possibilities of good life for everybody. Oh, and I completely agree. That's why I ask these questions. Absolutely. Let me just hold that there a second. We will just go to the news headlines and we will be right back. I have some good news. Uh -huh. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Harrowing audio has been released of the moment a 15-year-old Palestinian girl was shot and killed by Israeli forces while speaking on the phone with Red Crescent officials pleading for their help. An Australian man hospitalised with heart complications stemming from the COVID-19 vaccine has had a massive win in court. 
And the European Union's foreign policy chief has admitted Western sanctions have failed to weaken Russia, with fighting only intensifying in Ukraine. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. I'm here with Lord Prem Sikka, who is a member of the British House of Lords. And it's so refreshing, Prem, to hear you talking because there's so few people in your position who are prepared to stand up and be counted. As you say, you know that you get offered all these consultancies to basically do nothing except to add your name to a list. And many people take advantage of this on a constant basis. And well, one of the things that you've recently been standing up against, which is just so incredibly powerful, is the data protection and digital information bill. And in fact, I was reading an article that you had written um, and because you're a contributing editor at Left Foot Forward, and you have really aligned it and talked about how this is very much 1984. This is George Orwell all over again. So the data protection and digital information bill, my description is it is big brother on stilts. And uh, do you agree with that? You're absolutely right, Sonia. You know, we are living in times where hard-won rights and freedoms have been eroded as government is keen to produce a very docile population. Uh, So we have lost, for example, um, there are lots of constraints on the right to protest. (coughs) Excuse me. And millions of people have lost the right to withdraw labor, go on strike. And it is in the same kind of way the government wants to take powers to snoop on people's bank accounts. And the people they have selected are anyone who receives uh, what they call a state benefit. This includes uh, pensioners. They, they regard state pension as a benefit and also anyone, anyone getting unemployment benefits, sickness pay. Altogether, we are looking at about 22, 23 million people's bank accounts. Now, when I questioned the minister, why do you need this information? Uh, the minister's response was, firstly, we want to combat fraud. Well, okay, how much fraud is there on the state pension? Because that is determined by what we call national insurance contributions. And the answer was none. So, so why do you want these powers? And the second, uh, well, why are you choosing the poor and vulnerable? We have fraud, for example, at banks. We have fraud in the uh, uh, personal uh, equipment uh, protection, uh, personal protection equipment, the PPE, and elsewhere. That is not covered. There are huge corporations and rich people dodging taxes. There is money laundering. It does not apply to any of that. But they are just choosing the poor, the old, the sick, the disabled, and the vulnerable. And the next sort of question is, what are you going to do with this information? Given that you can't even get the cost of the HS2 right and you couldn't even deal with the problems at the post office, what are you going to do with this data? No answer whatsoever to these questions, but they could end up spending millions of pounds just snooping on people's bank accounts. And sort of my conclusion is they are really trying to discipline the people, put kind of fear into them. But so I I am tabling two amendments on that bill in the House of Lords. One is to say, let us completely eliminate this clause altogether so that there will be no snooping, because at the moment, the government has power to snoop on your bank accounts, but it has to be on a selective basis. 
whereas they want to take blanket universal powers without a court order, without you ever being even told that they are they are requiring some information from the bank. So I want to delete this clause. On the other hand, if the government follows the line that it is really to do with fraud prevention, then I'm tabling another clause and saying, well, in that case, snoop on the bank accounts of everybody uh, who receives any public money. That would include ministers, that would include every corporation the, comp the government buys something from. Uh, you know, uh, government this year in the UK is going to spend about £1,200 billion. So I said, okay, have it your way. Which way do you want it? So it's quite intriguing, this. And I think really people have to realize that their hard-won rights, freedoms have been eroded and the need to protest. But the, the difficulty is if you protest, uh, you, you know, you hit the buffers there too. And there are too many constraints on that. So police can kind of charge you on the basis that you are thinking of protesting. Okay, so imagine going to a local DIY store, you buy a tube of glue and you're walking home and there happens to be a protest and they search you and they find a tube of glue and they will say, you are thinking of sticking your face on the ground with this tube of glue, therefore you are arrested. No, nothing, you know, so, so the police can search you without any suspicion. And it is all wrong in my view. You know, we have cherished our freedoms. Our ancestors won freedoms after long struggles, but they're really being taken away. And that is totally wrong in my view. And so I will be fighting for those amendments and hope that others in the chamber will join me. Well, that is very much appreciated, as you say in this article about the digital bill, is that these things are sold to us, aren't they, with the idea that it's all about the greater good of society, but in fact, it's actually about the greater good of capital and wealthy elites. That is the reality of what we're dealing with. It's, I mean, I've never known a time like this where our freedom to protest, to assemble, uh, has been so severely curbed. Have you? I mean, is there another time that when you've been in politics and you've thought, okay, this is absolutely draconian? Because this seems like we're at an extreme point now, Prem. I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, in some senses, you know, you have to ask yourself, how did we get into this position? If you talk to the average person in the UK, the sort of uh, opening line would be, I am not interested in politics. Well, actually, politics is shaping their life, whether it is about loss of rights, whether it is about poverty, whether it is about rise of the food banks, whether it is to do with the 7.76 million due for the National Health Service in, in England. So everything is shaping their lives. Uh, that is shaping their lives is, lives is because of the political choices being made by very, very few people. So our political system is not really fit for purpose. You know, uh, often people say Britain has the best democracy that money can buy. That is true because moneyed interests have actually bought it. Uh, they fund the political parties. They they fund the individual uh, legislators. They own the media. And and when you you know ask sort of questions in Parliament about it, you get a reply: We support private enterprise. Well, I can understand that, but my sort of concern is. What is it out there that is so private about businesses? 
because the kind of food I eat, water I drink, air I breathe, medicines I take, news I consume, it is all influenced by corporate ownership, practices of corporations and uh, their shareholders and controllers. So why is it that in return, I can't have a say in corporate affairs? Uh, for example, uh, you know, I have a, uh, you, you refer to water companies, and my answer would be, let the customers elect water company directors. Let the customers oh, yes. vote. Let the customers vote on executive pay at water companies. Let's see whether their directors would now really be keen to dump sewage in the rivers, knowing that customers would be would be voting on their. Uh, uh, on their pay, that, that that will simply stop overnight, or at least yes. will be severely reduced. So we You're need more right. democracy, more more rights to curb some of these uh, obnoxious practices. Really, yes, absolutely. You've got them going in the comments this morning. Prem Peter says, "Good questions by Lord Prem, and ones we need answer for." Matt Nettle says, "My blood is boiling, but we can't scrutinise MPs' bank accounts." I want to thank you again, Prem, for joining us this morning, for standing up for us all um, there in the House of Lords. It is greatly appreciated, everybody. This is Lord Prem Sikha, who speaks for us, actually speaks for us. And you never thought you were going to hear that from a politician, eh? Take good care of yourself, Prem. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on today's News Talk, TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. The conversation continues with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. That was so great talking to Lord Premsicker. And it's very interesting because he doesn't actually refer to himself as a lord. That's me calling him a lord, which is odd because I often don't use that sort of terminology. But every now and again, I just think, well, you know what? You're earning it. And uh, that was it was it's wonderful to talk to him. So many great comments as well from you coming in. We 
greatly appreciate it. And uh, I am now joined by Godfrey Bloom. Now, many of you know Godfrey Bloom. He is a former MEP, an outspoken member of the European Parliament, and wonderfully so. He's now a commentator. He's a YouTuber. We we did a, a, a year's review together, didn't we, Godfrey? And in fact, Abby Roberts said to me, it made her cry. I said, but why? She said there was something really sort of emotional about it that she loved that really sort of touched her, which was amazing. Um, Godfrey is, yeah, absolutely. Godfrey is the absolute perfect person to come on and analyse all the war talk that we're hearing. He's, he's an associate member of the Royal College of Defence Studies, a parliamentary armed forces medal holder, territorial defence medal holder, and uh, written various defence papers and articles. And uh, as I say, with his history, I, I thought he was absolutely the perfect person to analyse what is going on. And last week, of course, we heard the, the head of the British Army talking about reintroducing conscription to our country. This was roundly shot down by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. But since then, we have seen the same call appear all around the world, including in Australian media at the weekend. So what is this all about? Well, first of all, we would like to play you a short clip from Tony Benn, a former MP now sadly dead. He spent many years in Parliament ardently fighting against war and was famously once quoted as saying, if we can find the money to kill people, we can find the money to help people. Let's have a little look at what Tony said all those moons ago. See, I think there are two ways in which people are controlled. First of all, frighten people and secondly, demoralise them. An educated, healthy and confident nation is harder to govern. And I think there's an element in the thinking of some people. We don't want people to be educated, healthy and confident because they would get out of control. <laughs> Why does that clip resonate so strongly with you, Godfrey? Well, what an extraordinary thing, uh, Sonia, that I would be now in the Tony Benn camp. Uh, but I don't think it matters uh, whether you're left or right, which is an anachronism now in my view anyway. It's about freedom and a democracy. And so Tony Benn and I wouldn't have any agreement at all on the running of the economy or probably anything else. But if you're going to have or claim to have an economy, it must be with representative government that we can sack whenever we want to sack and have to broadly reflect the views of the people, the man on the Clapham omnibus. That's not happening now. Now, on this particular subject, Sonia, of, uh, of, of conscription and war, and we're hearing the war drums beat now as loudly as we did in 1914, and I'm, of course, a military historian, and I saw uh, from history uh, that suddenly, in 1914, we went from uh, everybody not wanting a war, negotiating not to having a war, to having one of the most horrific wars that the world has ever seen with a lot of need, millions and millions of young men killed totally needlessly for no reason. And even today we scratch our heads and we say, what was that all about? You know, on Armistice Day, all these poor young men, what was that about? Nobody gets anything from war. Now, I'm not a pacifist. I'm an ex-soldier. I'm not a pacifist. But most wars, not all, are a waste of time, blood and treasure. You know, they don't work. Nobody really actually wins the war at the end of the day. Now, that was Tony Benn speaking. And, of course, we have on no analysis from mainstream media at all. The defence correspondent of the BBC is a complete and total numpty. He doesn't know 
an able seaman from a colour sergeant. He hasn't a clue. I think he got dicked at the Christmas party. And the Times a few years ago had Lucy Fisher, who was a defence correspondent. My God, absolutely hopeless. And of course, the old days, the Daily Telegraph had John Keegan and Claire Hollingworth, who were some of the greatest war correspondents, post-war correspondents ever. And they knew their business. Now, the problem we have today, and we were warned of this by uh, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, in 1960, uh, in his speech, his departure speech that every president gives. And he said, beware, beware of the military industrial congressional complex, which will end up dominating our entire economy uh, and our foreign policy. He warned us of this way back in 1960. Now, we've, so we've seen this happen. Because when you have a trillion dollar budget, annual budget, which the Americans have, you're going to find that money finds itself into Congress and the Senate and the people are making money. And war is about making money for arms manufacturers and bankers. Make no mistake, this is old as time itself. This is how it works. And this is what we're seeing now. Uh, and we have been given us, Eisenhower warned us, we have been given... Uh, the United States, which is uh, one of the most powerful countries on the planet, uh, a militaristic society, much the same as the Prussians were in the late 1900s. It's a militaristic society. It's about militarism. They have 200 overseas bases. Sorry, wrong. 800 overseas bases. Good Lord. And 200,000 overseas personnel. It's a warlike nation and they have to have war to feed the beast. You can't feed the beast unless you have a bogeyman. So they have to invent bogeymen. What did you think about the news this week that we are once again going to be storing Americans' nuclear weapons at RAF Lake and Heath? Did you see that news? Uh, yes, uh, and they've been there, of course, for a while. Now, my point is... I'm not anti-American. I've always been an Atlanticist. Uh, I was part of NATO for nearly 20 years. I was with 4th Armoured Division on the logistical side uh, when I got older and uh, light armoured reconnaissance as, as a young man. So I do know something about this from every angle. Uh, and NATO was a defensive treaty and all the training we did uh, in, in Europe was defensive because we knew that the Soviet Union was a politically hostile power and very, very well armed. So everything we trained to do was defensive. Now, the Soviet Union has collapsed. This is something, of course, that people can't grasp. The uh, legacy media cannot accept. The Soviet Union has gone, and it went a long time ago. So strategically, uh, and I'm, a, uh, as you say, I'm a, an associate member of the Royal College of Defence Studies. I'm trained in strategy. Um, there is not a natural strategic enemy in the Russian Federation. There used to be when it was the Soviet Union because it was politically hostile. That is no longer the case. And if you look at the Great War and if you look at the Second War, our main saviour ally was Russia. They saved us. We wouldn't have won the war without Russia. And they are a natural strategic uh, um, ally, if you will, or certainly non-combatant or, or not aggressive. And of course, they're the biggest landmass on the face of the planet with more industrial resources and natural resources than anybody else. We've also pushed them into the arms of China by our hostility in the West. 
Um, uh, they used to see the Soviet Union largely as China's being a, a, an enemy. Uh, and now we've pushed them into that camp. And with the weaponization of the dollar, we've now seen the BRICS, the involvement of BRICS countries. And so right. we're now going back into sort of West and East, uh, and the renewal of the Cold War, which, of course, is what America wants. Raytheon, uh, Grumman, all these big arms manufacturers in, in, in America, which are doing extremely well, uh, and the billionaires that have produced on the hill in Washington, because they're all on the take, make no mistake. So it's about warfare. We've been here before. Now, here's something that people don't understand. The Nick Beals of this world and the Lucy Fishers don't get it. What you've got to understand uh, is all this Tory warlike, uh, Tory bang the gong. We've got to have all this nonsense that the British army is now about 60,000 strong. 60,000. What does that mean? 60,000 oh, sounds quite a lot, doesn't it? That means we could probably put into the field two armoured brigades. Two armoured brigades. All this, let's get tough and let's fight the Russians. Two armoured brigades. And that's at the most with a logistical. Uh, background that a brigade needs. The Russian Federation has one million men, uh, which is more brigades than you can count. I tried to look up the number of brigades. Like I ran out. I got to something like 150 and I ran out. Uh, so it's monster. And now, of course, they're combat ready and combat trained. And they have a million in reserve. So the concept that Russia, even if we didn't like Russia and we uh, uh, for some reason, which was legitimate, which we don't have, war with Russia is absurd. It's ludicrous. And of course, we have this NATO which keeps encroaching. And this is seen as an existential threat from the Russian Federation. And when I was at Sandhurst, I did the Russia studies course. You have to look at it from their point of view. Now, when the collapse of the Soviet Union came along, uh, we saw NATO expand. We said we wouldn't expand NATO, but we have done. So all through the Baltic, so it's uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, we've pushed all that up there. Romania in Central Europe, we've pushed it up to the Russian border. They see this as an existential threat. And that's not unreasonable, as the Americans did when the missiles, right. Russian missiles, came into Cuba. Right. So it, if it's source for the goose, it's source for the gander. And this is what we need to do. We need to just get round what happened to diplomacy what happened to diplomacy nobody talks to each other anymore do they there's no profit bang, there's bang, no profit yeah it's but there huge. is no profit in diplomacy is it but you know the thing is i just had to have a cursory glance at headlines around the world and the war talk seems to be increasing day on day you have boris johnson former prime minister making a video that tells young british citizens to experience the attractions and advantages of military training or service then we have headlines saying Iran has sent a message to the US via a third party that the slightest attack on Iranian soil uh, will be met with retaliatory strikes. So we are hearing it on a constant basis. But do you feel, as indeed do I, but I don't claim to be uh, have the knowledge that you have, not at all, but do you feel there has been a ramping up of the war talk since October the 7th and the Hamas-Israel uh, attacks that took place. Do you do you feel that or is that just me? No, you're right. It's, 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 a, it's a thing. And now we're drawing into Sweden, into NATO, for example. Sweden has been neutral for 200 years. They're now talking about conscription. They've panicked the Swedish people. They're now sort of stocking up on groceries and stuff. 
there is no threat to Sweden at all from the Russian Federation. Uh, Finland has now joined NATO. They've been neutral since 1940. And of course, if you go to St. Petersburg and if you go to Tallinn in Estonia, as I have done, um, all the Finns go there to drink because the booze is cheap. There is no enmity between those people anymore. You know, we have to move on. History is one thing, and it's a good thing, and I understand history, but we have to learn from history and move forward. Now, this general that's claiming uh, Sanders, I think his name is, or Sanderson, uh, the chief of staff, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the chief uh, general. Now, here's something people don't understand. I was on the last exercise which trained uh, as... Um, a core exercise. The core is three divisions, uh, three, three, nine, ten brigades, if, if you will. I was on the last one. So we now don't have an army with any officers trained in the concept of warfare at core level or even divisional level. All right. So this general who's talking about it has no experience. That's extraordinary. No experience. That so is extraordinary. And the guy's yeah. a complete muppet. I mean, how could you possibly say that as a professional soldier who reached general rank, who has no experience whatsoever of soldiering at that level? And this is the problem that the Russian Federation have. It's integrated warfare. It's artillery uh, systems guided by, in, uh, by, um, uh, by satellite, uh, ballistic missiles, highly accurate, drones. We don't have drones. That's like going in in 1914, as we did, with virtually no... Uh, no uh, weapons, uh, 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 no guns, no artillery, and very few machine guns. We, let, let we, me ask we are behind technically. We're behind technically, not only militarily. And who wants to join the army when your promotion is based on your sexual preferences or the colour of your skin? It's no longer oh. a meritocracy. Or, or, the or the diversity. Val Silla says, Godfrey Bloom is a good guest. He is indeed. Godfrey, let me ask you this. Do you feel that we are genuinely heading towards a World War Three? That's a very difficult question because world wars normally come out of sort of a little bit left field um, uh, and shouldn't have happened. But the way to actually avoid a world war is to stop the triggers. Don't get near the triggers. If you do not have bases and missiles all over the world, you're much less likely to come into conflict. And this is the problem we have. And this is what the uh, Russian Federation will look at and the Chinese will look at. Now, with Sweden and Finland joining, we will find American missiles on the Russian border in Finland and Sweden, in the Arctic Circle. They will then th see that as an existential threat where there wasn't one before. And if you look at a map with all these bases on, you can see that the encirclement of the Russian Federation and China adjust the fear that Germany had in 1914 of encirclement. What you need to do is go back to diplomacy. Why are there all these bases? Why on earth does America feel it needs 800 overseas bases? We're threatening people. And when people feel threatened, you risk war. There's no need for war. There's no need for all this. We need to be friends and trade and stop this regime change. Russia, uh, the Americans have said quite definitively they want regime change in the Russian Federation. All right. It's none of their business. It's right. none of their business. We, right. The Americans need to get their bloody noses out of everybody else's business. <laughs> there will be a world war if we don't 
get rid of the neocons in Washington, Lindsey Graham, John Bolton, and all these people, they're nutters. It's like yes. Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> they're nutcases. And of course, <laughs> Boris, we don't know what Boris is getting paid by this huge war machine, do we, behind the scenes, and he'll do no. anything for money. Uh, and of course, yeah. it's rather a great big fat pudding talking about young men coming soldiers. Oh, absolutely! Come on, you you couldn't run around the park without throwing up a big fat. Absolutely, love. Matt Nettle says my granddad liberated Belson, affected him forever. It does. It has a, a, a dreadful if, if impact on people, and it's not just the soldiers themselves, but the ripple effect impacts the entire family, as Godfrey will tell you. Now, Godfrey, I understand that you will be coming back in a couple of weeks, speaking to a, another host on uh, TNT for a longer period of time, which will be fantastic because he will be able to go into more detail with you. But I urge anybody to, to check out Godfrey's work. Absolutely brilliant. Always prepared to, to say it as he sees it. Very much appreciate all of my guests today, the input, everything. This has been Wednesday's edition of the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk. Abby Roberts is coming up next. Thank you, wonderful Godfrey Bloom, for joining me, as indeed Lord Prem Sicker. And thank you all for your wonderful comments. Take good care of yourself, and I'll see you tomorrow when it's Thursday. Take good care. <laughs> <laughs>